Hello, and welcome to the Hypermobility Happy Hour podcast, the first podcast exclusively dedicated to discussing hypermobility conditions, including hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. On this podcast, we like to explore what we can do to treat our conditions and to live more fulfilling lives. I'm your host, Carrie Gabrielson, and I've been diagnosed with HEDS, MCAS, POTS, and other related conditions. If you have questions, feedback, suggestions for future episodes, or are just looking to chat about hypermobility or anything else, feel free to reach out at hypermobilityhappyhour at gmail.com. Today, we're very excited to have Victoria Daler as our guest. Victoria was a professional dancer and gyrotonic instructor who has performed throughout the U.S. and worldwide, including in Israel, Greece, and a tour of Austria. After being diagnosed with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, Victoria switched gears and is now a post-bac student at Columbia University in New York City, where she is pre-med and preparing for a career as a physician. Victoria, hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Carrie. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm a big fan of this podcast, so it's it's special to be on the other side of it. Oh, thanks so much. I'm a huge fan of your social media presence and all the content you put out there. Um, and I'm so happy we're getting to chat. Um, let's start back at the beginning, as we often do on this podcast. Uh, when did you first learn about hypermobility and what were your um, initial manifestations of hypermobility? I... Yeah, I I feel like I learned about hypermobility at a, a late age, even as a dancer. Like I think it was twenty twenty, so I was what is that, twenty five, twenty six at the time. And my friend, who is also a dancer and choreographer, she was I was injured during one of her creative processes, and she was like, "Hey, you know, I think you might be hypermobile," <laughs> and and kind of brought it to my attention and. She actually knew someone else who had hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, and so she she kind of had this connection of knowledge and helped me put the pieces together. And by bringing my attention to it, I was like, you know what, that makes a lot of sense, especially for the hypermobility stuff. Um, my shoulders are very big range of motion going on there, so I can. I used to be able to like jump rope with my arms I would like go to the mall and just like jump rope down the corridor which is it gives me the the ick now mm-hmm. to think about but I <laughs> whenever I... yeah to that big time I was the only person I ever knew and it's still to this day in my life but maybe you're the second who didn't have my last name so not my family who could cross their elbows behind their back completely um so that was always my party trick so I totally relate to like looking back on that and being like oh no like I was just screwing up my clavicles and neck um but yeah funny yeah it's 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 hard to look back on some of those like my friend sent me a video of this like really hypermobile gymnast and she was like oh no and I'm like oh my heart hurts (laughs) for them but also I was that person mm-hmm. too I mean I wasn't a gymnast but mm-hmm. I I would do all of the the tricks and mm-hmm. put my leg in places it shouldn't be and uh, but um yeah yeah I feel like I some of the first things that I experienced with hypermobility were I had a few dislocations when I was younger like Uh, my elbow and my shoulder and my knee. Um, But it wasn't, 
um, so close together. I don't think we saw a pattern necessarily, me and my family. Um, and yeah, I, w- I would be injured pretty frequently, but you know, dancers all get injured. And so I just, I mean, it made me self-conscious if I had to sit out of class, maybe more than other people. But I, I just kind of thought that was normal. I think that's t- a typical story for people with similar paths as me. Mm-hmm. I like sprained my ankle really poor, like really awfully. It was instead of going the normal way that people sprain their ankle or like typically they sprain their ankles one direction and mine like flipped the other way and like touched my shin bone. Ugh, it was, it was on video too during a rehearsal. <laughs> and so things like that, they just like, you know, really added up. Um, and eventually kind of did make it more difficult to dance. Um, but I didn't know the word hypermobility until I was 25, almost 26. That was kind of my journey. It was late, late to the, the vocabulary. Uh, yeah. And it's so interesting being yeah, in the dance world where um, I assume and kind of get the sense that a significant percentage of people, if not the majority of people, are hypermobile. So it's like you're in this world with a lot of hypermobile people, but not only didn't know it, like didn't even know what the word is called. And I think that's very common. I hear that all the time from like physical therapists and, um, you know, professionals who like are in the space and still like never hear about these things. So yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah, I think something that I've I've heard other people discuss too, but it's you maybe bring up something that's bothering you and then you ask other people like is that normal and it's confusing when everyone I was surrounded by were dancers and so yeah, they're hypermobile, you know, there's a a good chance a lot of them have hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome too or a hypermobile spectrum disorder and they don't they don't know it and I didn't know it and so you know it's hard to compare from you to someone else when neither of you may know what the what's normal actually mm-hmm. or like even your mom or your dad or sibling mm-hmm. if you have a genetic condition causing it it's like oh that's normal mm-hmm. no it's actually you both just experience the same thing so yeah I think that leads to um delayed you know diagnostic but also just understanding what quote normal is absolutely yeah yeah and so you were an amazingly accomplished dancer for many years um dan- and still are um dancing all over the world what was that experience like it it was it was awesome I I mean I really I have such a big passion for it and for just like learning new ways to move your body. And, you know, I really love to like push the boundaries of what I could do, <laughs> which looking back makes a little sense and is kind of funny. But yeah, I, I mean, I trained, I started when I was two years old, you know, barely old enough to walk when I was dancing. And yeah, I went to college for it and performed professionally after school and got to travel and tour and met so many incredible people and just like have I feel like I have a a lens of the world through this movement art form and like really appreciate all sorts of like I don't know when you go into public spaces and you just 
observe people with a, a special lens as you know every everyone has their own lens and i feel like the dance one is something i really cherish mm -hmm. um, and yeah I, I i i still try to like stay in touch with that world I, I got to see a performance my friends put on last night which was really special and i try to take class and stuff but it's definitely slowed down a lot more um because i'm pretty busy but yeah, I think my favorite, one of my favorite experiences was I got to live abroad for six months and study this improvisational technique, Gaga, in Israel. And I was living with my best friend and just like learning about a new culture and new way of movement. And yeah, that, that time was really special for me. And it was definitely before I knew about hypermobility, but it was it was enjoyable and the, the ignorance was bliss a little bit <laughs> i know what you mean yeah it's certainly as great as it is to have knowledge and information and a diagnosis it can be really scary and kind of world upending so yeah ignorance definitely can be bliss uh, when, with a lot of things um for sure um, and so after being diagnosed with ehlers-danlos syndrome you switched gears pretty dramatically and prepared to become a doctor can you tell us about what motivated that change and why you're so passionate about becoming a physician? Yeah, I, so I, I was diagnosed. Um, I, so I, this conversation I referred to earlier with my friend was the last month of being 25 years old. So I had um, one month left on my parents' health insurance and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to see all these specialists and like went into like, this mode of like, I need to solve this massive complex problem in one month <laughs> of hearing, of even hearing the words Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. I mean, wow. I think I had heard it previously, but I didn't mm -hmm. pay attention really, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately. Um, and um, so yeah, I, I kind of tackled this doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment, trying to figure it out. Um, I was pretty lucky that I, the first doctor that I saw and asked, I came with my checklist, my diagnostic checklist. And I said, I feel strongly that this is something that I would like to look at with you. And she went through, she actually didn't go through the checklist with me, but she did ask me other questions and go through the Baton scale uh, score. And she immediately was like, I agree. Like I, you're you present with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome so I know that's kind of uncommon and I I feel for everyone who has to go to multiple doctors and and present this and be told no when they might actually have it that really breaks my heart and you know that's that's one part of why I want to be a doctor I want to I want to be the person who can put the pieces together for people or at least listen yeah. <laughs> you know that listening is like the first step mm -hmm. um and i i i think we all have experienced um a lack of that at mm -hmm. some point or another definitely um and so yeah i after being diagnosed that sent me into like a year of like i'd say pretty poor mental health i just was going like worst case scenario more than I needed to be. I was just like taking whatever information I could. And, you know, I think we we talked about this before, but it can be 
really overwhelming what's what's out there and seem like this devastating thing and I just took it in and didn't know what to do with all that information and how to be a dancer with this I was like will I be able to dance like how can I trust my body having some you know really scary thoughts um and like sorting through all of that for about a year I'd say um and still dancing and like trying to make it work and I like spent hours in the studio trying to like recreate a new movement pattern for myself that was within my range of motion and like really trying to like see what I could do mm. uh, to keep going mm. and then there was there was one time I had had an instance that like ended me in the ER for really really bad pain and I ended up I, okay so to lay to lay the groundwork sorry I'm just rambling but I guess that's this is a podcast so <laughs> um yeah so I had always wanted to be a doctor since I was little I would say I want to be a doctor and a cheerleader which I think I meant dancer Aww. but I didn't know that I didn't know that was an option <laughs> and so yeah I like it, it always fascinated me the medical field and oh that's my dog Yara saying hi Aww. and um so yeah I I took like medical courses in high school and neuroscience in college and I kind of like you could looking back I could see these little threads pulling me in that direction but dance was just this major path in my life and um yeah I think that night in the ER I, I was googling <laughs> googling different like medical careers and I, I ended up finding this program called the post-bac pre-med program at Columbia University this is not an ad <laughs> but it got my attention and I, I applied secretly actually and didn't tell any of my friends and yeah I, I, I got accepted and kind of just dove right in I, I think I spent that year in so many doctor's offices meeting so many people and getting this variety of experience you know I've there's been the doctors who tell you you know what you're feeling isn't real there are doctors who just can't figure it out which is you know probably frustrating for both sides um you know, trips to the ER and just like disappointment. There's also been doctors who are incredible and help me so much or try or admit when they couldn't figure it out, but would send me to someone who could. And I don't know, I just got this wide variety of experiences. And I, I was like, this is my time to, to go that route and to kind of use all this experience I have on the patient side to help other people and I do really want to treat patients with hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome so that's that's my goal <laughs> in the long run. That's amazing and you know so many people with EDS and other hypermobility conditions have to make a career choice for one reason or another and um, yours is just you know so incredible and kind of serendipitous and amazing that you were able to um, switch gears in, in that way. And I think, like you said, like having that dance perspective and that dance background, like 
it's going to serve you in so many ways. I, I wish I had gotten more into dancing. I have total two left feet. Um, but it's just, it's so fun. And it's such a great way to express yourself and to, you know, get out some of that um, excess energy and just and feel connected and to music and stuff like that. And it's just, it's amazing. And then having that perspective of going through, you know, like you said, the, you've kind of seen the gambit of the good doctors who are trying and, and, the, you know, some who are really knowledgeable, but then some who are very dismissive. And, you know, I think all of that, um, you know, translates to you being in a position to, um, you know, be able to work with this population that's really underserved. And I say it all the time, like our community deserves better than what we have right now. And, and I think, um, you know, great people out there like you are, are, you know, changing it, um, you know, with, with what you're doing. And I just think that's amazing and very inspiring. So um, great story. I couldn't agree more about you too. I think like, bringing awareness to it is, is, such a key step and you know that's the only way I found out I had it was someone else knew about it and Mm -hmm. for so many people that's the story someone has to know about it Mm -hmm. and then they tell you because really I I guess I know a few people who the doctor actually just like knew and diagnosed them but I feel like a lot of the people they found out about it and put the pieces together and presented it. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that all the time. And I agree. It's, it's the way majority of the patients that I hear how they get diagnosed is they hear from another patient um, who helps them through it. I hear that story all the time and very small minority um, have it, you know, spotted by a doctor. Um, and, and as you said, it's like, that's so strange. It's almost like it's a secret club, you know, like you have to know someone who kind of like introduces this whole other door to your reality for you. And that's not how it should be. Like, I've said this so many times on the podcast, so sorry to, um, frequent listeners, but you know, Ehlers and Danlos did their work over 100 years ago. Hippocrates first described us in 400 BC. Like we've been around for a long time. And it's just, it's unbelievable that, you know, the physician knowledge and the knowledge in the general public is so low um, in most places in the world and and is is definitely very, very um, patchy and sparse in the U.S. And so, um, yeah, but like you said, like all we can do is do our little bit to raise awareness and kind of try to bring it into the rest of the world. So it's not this um, super secret club. It should be just part of life, hopefully someday. Um, so you you also interned at the Medical University of South Carolina in the Norris Laboratory, um, where they are working on discovering genes related to hypermobility. What was that experience like? And what did you learn in your time in the internship? Yeah, that that experience was really incredible. Um, I I learned about the lab like a year before, and it was it was a, a wild shift of events to to end up in the lab studying the disorder I have. And yeah, I learned so much. I came in. Um, I I I got close with my mentor Courtney Gensmer, and she's awesome. Shout out. And totally, yeah. Courtney, she is amazing. And at the at my end interview, you know, we got close and we were talking, and she was like, "Yeah, you were like they wanted to bring in a range of um of young women, or well, and men, but we just didn't have any men applicants this year, actually." 
Um, but I was kind of the less on the lesser end of experience with research coming in just because I I've had this career shift and the other people mostly who applied, you know, did the traditional route to medicine or research. Um, and so I just, I came in really ready to absorb everything. And I think I learned that skill from dance, so I got to give it credit. But um, yeah, so I, I mean, I learned so much just from like lab techniques, you know, different kinds of experiments to the mechanisms of the disorder or, you know, what they're what they're working on now and the just genetics in general and DNA and how all of that works. And I think the most special thing was to work closely with other young women with EDS, specifically HEDS. Um, there were five of us and that was really cool. I, I, I've never really been around people with it. I have people on the internet that I talk to and friends I suspect who probably have it, but you know, it's different when you know you have it and like what all comes with it. And, you know, it's a different, once, once you kind of acknowledge it's a different experience, but so getting to, to hang out with them all day and work so hard and, and also the understanding in the lab, I mean, because they're, they're studying the condition, they understand that they're so accept, like accepting of what that means. Like immediately Dr. Norris was like, I think in the, before we started, he sent out this, uh, what do you call it, form, <laughs> a form of if, if we needed any accommodations. And no one had ever asked me that before. And I really just was, was respected it so much. That's and so amazing. And that, oh, that's like the dream for me because, you know, as a lawyer, I'm a little bit familiar with the Americans with Disabilities Act. And a lot of people don't realize that the impetus is really on whether it's the employee or if you're a patron of a business for you to ask for accommodation, um, you know, and there's not really a proactive effort. And it's very uncomfortable to go to your employer and to talk about your health limitations. And, you know, a lot of us have been socialized to really kind of keep that stuff to ourselves. And so that sounds like an amazing work environment where, you know, you're being asked proactively, like, how can we accommodate you? And that's so smart. And I wish other employers would do things like that. Because I think when you accommodate people with differences and different conditions, you know, it benefits the organization, too. We have a lot to give, but we, we do have limitations that that need to be respected, too. So that's awesome. Yeah, I think that environment really opened my eyes. Like, I, I don't know, we could we could sit if we needed to while working or take a break, or if we have a doctor's appointment, there's total understanding that that's just a part of it. And, you know, everyone has doctor's appointments. It's not just people with EDS. We, we just tend to have a lot more, but, and so being able to bring that like level of accessibility into my life has been really cool. I, I run the journal club at, and the program I am in. And so I try to, in the forums and emails I send out when we're having an event, I, I try to add that in too, you know, like, does anyone need accommodations or dietary things? Like, I think just the more inclusive we can be as a whole in any field, it's, it's really appreciated on, on the, 
the receiving end. So definitely. that that was something I took away, definitely. And I wish I could talk more about the science aspect of my experience, but I think that will be released hopefully, you know, sometime soon. Oh, <laughs> to I totally public. understand how all that, you know, paper secrecy works. And um, yeah, when you're, if you know, when you have future updates, like you're definitely welcome anytime to come back and, and tell us about um, any anything as your career develops, because yeah, you have a really a great perspective and a really valuable view on all things hypermobile. Thank you. Yeah, it's, I, I've tried to use all the resources I, I could. And this podcast is definitely one. So it takes a community to learn together, I feel like. Definitely. Uh, and thanks. Um, as a hypermobile person and someone going into the medical field, what do you see as the mo- most important areas for future research? That's a great question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind would be definitely a better, a better diagnostic system. I think yes. that's kind of a, a commonly held uh, belief, but yeah, it seems like that one just isn't catching everyone and is hard for physicians to buy into or to to actually do. I don't know. There's there's definitely some gaps there. So I'm looking forward to whatever system comes next and um, you know, whether that's genetic testing or better hypermobility testing or I I think it could look like a lot of different things and probably a combination of things but I think I think the more we can learn about hypermobility and hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and the physicians you know catching up with the continuing education of it I think it won't be such a stigmatized thing um yes yeah I I think we also, we talked a little bit about this, but yeah, finding the cause and, and that leading to a treatment, hopefully one day in the, in the far or near future would be incredible, you know, something to treat directly at the, at the problem instead of just the symptoms, I think would, I mean, that, that feels very far away, but I, you know, that would be incredible. And, but then also in the meantime, treating the patients, problems at hand you know how do we treat all of the people in front of us right now um with the problems they have right now yeah. <laughs> what what can we do to better that mm-hmm. and, and the patient experience along with it i feel like the mental aspect of it all i mean i don't i don't know what specific question that even looks like but i know for me that that first year after putting the pieces together was really difficult and it felt like it didn't need to be so difficult. Like it just, the confusion and the mystery around everything and the unknown was what made it so hard. And and now I'm in this place where I can look back and see that it's it's okay. Like I can do incredible things and hard things and it's okay. And this, is, this condition isn't ruining my life. <laughs> just gonna say that for everyone listening, it's not, not the worst thing ever it can be really hard but yeah I think the mental aspect of this I don't know there's something there's something going on there so yeah and that's such a great point and thank you for making it because I had a similar experience after being diagnosed it um, really a grieving process and I, I spoke to I've spoken to so many 
people. So many great listeners have reached out and thank you to all of you who have reached out um, and, and feel free to reach out if you, uh, if you're interested. Um, and so many of us, like when we first find out about ailers, first of all, it's weird because a lot of us are kind of Googling and researching our various symptoms, our whole lives and don't find Ehlers-Danlos, which is also really strange because I've met a lot of really good researchers who, you know, searched really far and wide and, and never came across DDS, um, which is certainly strange, but um, I think the process, and I was talking about this with another hypermobile, actually two other hypermobile friends recently, um, the process of being diagnosed with EDS is kind of traumatizing in and of itself, because if you go out there and you're just searching on Google and you just go to like, you know, the kind of main hits, it's really overwhelming and it sounds so scary. And, it, you know, it just sounds like, wow, everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And, um, you know, I... I've, I've had many, many, many surgeries at this point. I've, you know, been in, you know, and, and still to this day struggle with some very concerning symptoms and stuff. And there's a lot of limitations. It's it's really difficult for sure. And it's a spectrum, you know, some people, um, you know, are impacted, you know, much more severely than others, but, um, the way it's presented online and the way it's referred to in kind of the, the main sources that you come across first, Um, I I don't think it's helpful. I don't think a lot of it's accurate. Um, And it just, it leads to this state of kind of shutting down and being really intimidated. And, and that's part of, you know, what the impetus for this podcast was to like, create a welcoming space where it's like, you know, welcome to the community here, you know, here's what we can do. And let's focus on, you know, what can we do? and, And what are the different stories of people living with this condition to kind of fully represent that spectrum? Because in my experience, you know, working in this space for six years, Um, and and getting to know a lot of hypermobile people, I've seen the full spectrum of abilities from people that are incredibly severely affected and, you know, can barely get out of bed or maybe can't get out of bed at all, you know, all the way up to the most, um, you know, successful and accomplished people in, you know, law, medicine, particularly the arts, um, you know, obviously dancing, you know, big one, um, but performing arts of all kinds. And so, you know, it really is a spectrum. And, you know, what I've noticed, you know, just as kind of an observer and someone curious who, you know, talks to a lot of people with this condition, I think the biggest determinants for, um, you know, how, where people fall in that spectrum is the degree of support and awareness um, and, and, you know, in the people around them in their life, and then their degree of medical support and awareness. I think those are huge factors um, for where people fall on that spectrum. And, uh, and yeah, that's why I'm so dedicated to, you know, getting the word out and trying to increase that just basic awareness that is just not out there in society, you know, let alone the medical community, which is a you know, whole nother issue. Um, but one you're you and, you know, great people like Courtney are really working diligently to correct. Um, and so, so many great people out there. So many have been on this podcast. I'm, you know, uh, I feel like it's like an Academy Award speech. I'm like forgetting to name all the names of the people I should be thinking. But, um, you know, I yeah, just shout out to everyone who's, you know, doing work to raise awareness and try to get a more accurate picture out there and a more supportive environment. So it's not just us, you know, Googling in isolation and feeling like, you know, worst case scenario and, and 
But yeah, that period after getting diagnosed is tough. And like you said, I don't think it has to be, I know it doesn't have to be as tough as it is because I've spoken to people who were diagnosed in a way more supportive way or at a young age or in the context of their family, you know, being diagnosed. And, and so I think all that really matters to, you know, the degree that we feel sort of stigmatized or alienated versus feeling accepted and empowered and, and to be in a place to exercise informed consent over how we use our bodies and what kinds of, you know, treatments and, and things we use to manage our symptoms. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said. I, the, the spectrum aspect of it too, I, I realized I said that it isn't the worst thing ever. And for some people it might be, you know, mm-hmm. but it, it can be, it can be really hard. Um, but I, it doesn't have to be for everyone. I mean, it might not be for everyone. Um, and I, I think for maybe people who have seen my journey and maybe knew me through that really hard year, like, I guess I want, I want people to know that it, it doesn't have to look like that. Um, I think that the more awareness there is, the less isolating it is. And, you know, just welcoming people in to figuring it out for themselves um, in a supportive way. And like, yeah, everything you just said, it's, I think creating a, like a less, uh, I can't think of the word, but like horrific image of it, right? Like right when you're diagnosed, like that, like kind of working in that space of like, it can be, you know, there is a lot to learn right away, but you know, it can be, it can be okay. Something I am really hoping to do in med, hopefully I get into med school. It's all cross our fingers. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm already like, wherever I end up, I hope they know that I'm about to approach their, their staff and request that the curriculum about hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and all Ehlers-Danlos syndrome gets a little reboot. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm already ready to, uh, ask whoever I need to ask to to increase that because from what I hear it's just one slide I've actually seen the slide <laughs> it's one slide for all 14 types um and we all know same slide I heard about I heard from a doctor I said did you ever learn about Taylor Stanlos in medical school and he said there was one slide and that it was a picture of a basketball player and they said if you see this condition look out for the heart and that was the total, but this was maybe like uh, five, six years ago. So this was a bit a while ago, but I was like, oh gosh, there's so much more to it than that. Like, oh no, that's so, you know, nothing. Um, was this, is the one slide you saw similar to that? Or is there a little more detail these days? Uh, that's pretty much what I saw. I don't remember the basketball player specifically, but I think it was like, yeah, um, stretchy skin heart problems i don't know it shows you like what at least what i saw it was like one slice of what it could look like but as we know it can look like so many different things Mm -hmm. and um yeah so i'm i'm ready to collaborate (laughs) uh, kindly collaborate with whoever i can um to work on that i know that the norris lab is working with the medical university of south carolina too revamp theirs I mean they're they're lucky they're right on campus and they're doing they're doing the research so um that inspired me to hopefully be able to do the same wherever I go but um 
Yeah, yeah. I I hope that I hope because that's where it starts. And also, I think part of their goal with the intern program is, you know, by teaching the five of us, we'll go and we'll teach our friends. And if we go into the medical field, we'll teach our peers, and maybe we'll teach our faculty even. And you know, that's how it spreads. And once the physicians know them, the whole game can change. So it's, I'm looking forward to being a piece of that. Totally. Me too. I'm looking forward to you being a piece of that as well. And fingers crossed and knocking on wood, you know, that all goes well. Um, Thank you. And when you think to your, to the future and your career, you know, in the medical field, what are you most interested in doing? You know, we just went over, I guess we kind of just answered that a little bit, like just bringing that awareness. And I love how you said, like, we need the reboot. We need the reboot so much. It's almost like we need to like start from the beginning, really. It's even more than a reboot. It's like, we got to kind of redraw the landscape a little bit, because I think things have gone really off kilter in in a lot of the research but yeah i think you know the norris lab is doing such interesting work and courtney is just is awesome and i'm I'm so happy you had you know such a a great experience working there but is there anything else you're you know interested in doing you know once you begin working anything you're really looking forward to um yeah i well i have to say that experience really like cued me into I, i my friends say i got the research bug and so I'm definitely, it's become kind of hard to see my life without research. And so I'm, I'm debating if I should apply as, you know, just for med school or go for MD, PhD. So if any listeners have, not just any opinion, but if you have, if you've experienced it, maybe hit me up. Um, I'm curious about people's experiences, but um, yeah, I, I, it's complicated because you can do research being a physician. You don't need PhD, um, but I'll, I don't know. So I'm kind of debating that whole route. And as far as specialties, um, I, I'm pretty open and I'm, I'm interested in genetics because it that's, you know can be directly related to Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. But I'm open to what fields strike me as I experience them. I'm excited to, I know med school will be really difficult, but I, I think I'll really enjoy it. I even enjoyed the classes I'm taking right now, even though they're just like physics and chemistry and biology. <laughs> so I know it'll only get better, that's, more interesting. Yeah, that's great. And I'm glad to hear you have such a kind of open-minded approach to all of this, because I think that's important. Everything's kind of changing so quickly now that there's finally starting to get some kind of grassroots awareness out there. And a lot of, you know, patients are doing that advocacy and, and we'll include a link to your, um, your Instagram page if people want to check that out. And you have a very active social media presence and post great content, including your recent posts about how widespread pain is in the EDS community, such an important issue that we can never bring enough attention to because, you know, so many people get written off for their pain and yet it's like a primary symptom. I think your post was saying that like 90% of patients with Ehlers-Danlos report um, living with pain. Uh, What has your experience been like raising awareness for hypermobility and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome through social media? Yeah, I, I think as, and like right after being diagnosed, that's kind of, that was my way in as I was looking on social media and YouTube and anywhere I could to find out you know reading about it didn't click always it would but that almost seemed more scary so 
seeing people talk about it and share their their real experience made it a lot more relatable and like oh you know they're okay <laughs> they're okay on that end so i think that for me that was a big part of understanding what was happening for myself and so i think i knew immediately like i want to do that one day but i don't know enough about it to be you know sharing any information i'm very much processing everything and so you know once i kind of got a grasp of what was going on i like would start to share things um trying to share you know accurate accurate resources or you know highlighting other other people's information other you know podcasts books accounts and things i think part of my my idea is that being a dancer and a lot of my friends are you know most of my friends are dancers um there's a good chance a lot of them might be dealing with similar things to me and they don't know and so i feel like i do kind of have this opportunity to cue them in or anyone in and now i'm starting to kind of have other people follow me which is really you know exciting and to connect with different people across the world and yeah i i feel like i'm slowly taking on the advocate role but it it feels important to me to to share what i'm learning and the resources i've gotten to know and love so i don't have time to be much more present but i'm doing what i can and it feels it feels good to help or spread word absolutely and and that really speaks to me because you know, when I first started this podcast, and even to this day, you know, I, I don't have the medical expertise, but I was trained in research. And so I can find information and I read a ton of academic articles. And sometimes it's really hard to make heads or tails of what's going on, because you will literally find opposite opinions. A good one is this rare, not rare thing. I, I absolutely agree with, um, there was a recent podcast that Dr. Norris, I think Ann Courtney were on. I think it's called Innovatively Speaking. I haven't listened to it yet, but I heard that, I think they said they're th thinking it might be one in 300. I'm, I might be getting that number a little bit wrong, but they've been great at the forefront. And, you know, Courtney's made the point several times, like this condition is not rare. It's just rarely diagnosed. So yeah, it's been, it's, it's hard. Like, you know, we want to do something, we want to raise awareness, but it's that thing of like, oh, am I in the, who should be doing this? But it's like, we all can only do what we can do. And if something speaks to us, we share that and try to do what research to, you know, figure out things as much as we can. But I think that conversation element is really important. And that's why I really appreciated like hearing from listeners, you know, and, and getting new perspectives. And, and I try to keep an open mind like you, because my mind has been changed several times, you know, since being diagnosed about what I think are the most important issues, what, where things are kind of going awry. And so again, just a reminder, if anybody wants to reach out, you know, if you if you agree with anything we say on this podcast, if you have radically different views, come on and share them. Let's have a discussion. Because I do agree, I think the only way we're going to figure this out and make any progress is as a community kind of working with each other and and doing what we can and you know, we we all have the rest of our lives to attend to, so we can't just be trumpeting the megaphone about this all the time, but any little bit really does help. And, and you're doing more than a little bit. You have some really awesome content. And I totally encourage everyone to go check out your Instagram page and, and keep up with what you're doing because it's it's really amazing stuff. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy, happy to share and happy to 
if people wanted to reach out, I'm, I'm happy to connect and everything too and hear other people's experiences. And yeah, I, I love that you said stay stay open to new information and having a conversation. That is what it's all about. That's how we learn. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so how do you manage pain in your own life? Um, you know, like I said, you've been a great advocate and, you know, getting out that message, how pain is so prominent in the community. And what is your perspective on the pain that comes with living with EDS? Yeah, um, it, it really uh, can vary significantly. I'd say there are some days where, you know, I'm able to do a lot. And there are some days where I just kind of crash and burn or weeks or months. I'd say I, I, I'm glad the dance training has kind of informed me of myself of my body and how things can operate and when things are off I feel like I can be quickly perceptive to those moments sometimes I'm not and sometimes like I'll bring up to a friend like just like without thinking like oh this really hurts or something and and they're like oh should you put a heating pad on or something I'm like Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, I should actually. <laughs> and so it's sometimes there are those silly moments where like you might feel something and forget to take action on it because it's kind of so normal to you. And so I, I do really appreciate when people will just verbally suggest these simple tasks that I forget to do sometimes. Um, yeah, I think just having my kind of, I like to call it my buffet of like, options whenever I'm in pain or feel a flare-up coming on um typically you know I have a like a a medication that works for me that's I have one that's for like you know normal pain quote normal pain a daily pain that is manageable and then I have something for when it's really severe um so I'm able to like kind of discern when to use those or you know, braces as I need them. Um, heating pads are awesome. Ice packs, baths. I usually get really dizzy when I get out of them. Um, <laughs> but, but the bath helps. Knowing when to rest is so hard. But yeah, that, that one's big. And, and I being in school has definitely affected my pain. Um, I find my injuries have shifted to what school requires, which is studying a lot, many hours of studying and doing work. And so like I'll, my posture, you know, I, my shoulder hurts a lot from the way I sit when I study. Um, so I try to be aware of that. And something big for me was when I moved last year and got my own apartment, which is really fun but also I was able to create the space for myself and so I have like three different places to sit when I study so I will shift between those three spots as frequently as I can while still maintaining focus because for me it's just sitting in one place any place for too long is painful so I kind of shift between these different height chairs and my couch for the like a pull-out table in front of it. And that seems to help me a lot. And just kind of, if I feel something coming on, take it easy is my is the hardest part probably. But 
the most important. Yeah, that's such a great overview. I loved how you said your buffet of options. I'm definitely going to use that and, and credit you. That's wonderful because it's good to think of it as having options in that in that way, like of having like this this range of options. I think that's and we all need that kind of toolkit. We need our own buffet. Yeah, I I related to so much of what you just said. I mean, I love heating pads too, you know, especially when it gets cold to really help with that chill and relax um, tense muscles. And what you said about switching positions a lot. I also can't sit in the same position too long. I can't stand too long, can't walk too long, but like I need to mix those things up. That's actually part of why we've yet to make them move over to YouTube or to do video because I'm really self-conscious about the amount that I... behind the audio here, I can be lying down or, you know, people, you know, don't exactly see what's going on. And I've been self-conscious, but I've been really inspired by people like you and Courtney and so many other, again, you know, blanking on names, but so many other amazing advocates and people sharing their stories and showing the difficult parts and the, you know, the parts that look a little strange to people that don't understand hypermobility. And so I'm kind of coming to terms with being more open about that kind of thing. And and so like your willingness to share that is really helpful for me and, you know, kind of encourages me to, to share the, those parts. Cause I think that's an important part of living and kind of working around our, our challenges. And so, and yeah, it's, it's interesting, but yeah, we're, we're definitely like not designed to sit in one place for long periods of time, which is so much of society, right? Like flying on a plane, sitting at a mm-hmm. desk, like, you know, so much that I used to take for granted when I was in a lot more able state, I guess, than I'm in now. But um, yeah, thanks for sharing. That's a great perspective on on EDS. That reminds me, I I like how you said, like, willingness to be, I I forget the word used, different or kind of odd, maybe. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there was, there was a time I was studying with a friend in the library for finals. And I just had to lay on the floor. <laughs> and some people might be really disturbed by that. We were in a yes. room that was just the two of us. So it wasn't like the middle of the library. Mm-hmm. But I just like, I had to. It was the only way to keep going. Mm-hmm. And and so, yeah, that that was maybe odd and goofy. And she did look at me a little funny. But then she told she knows what everything I'm, I deal with. And so she was like, you do you. You keep going. That's awesome. <laughs> and I... I appreciated that support, that moment of support. Totally. And yeah, I am a big fan. Well, not I'm a fan. I'm a de facto fan, I guess, of lying on the floor because sometimes I need to. And and I spend just a lot of time lying flat. I call it putting the blood back in my brain because it was like just like my all the blood drains from my head and I just become like a, a bloodless um, kind of zombie, almost like the brain fog. But I feel so much better lying on my back, which is, you know, related to the cervical instability and things a lot of the people that are really common in the community. And so thanks for pointing that out, because that reminds me of a time when someone said to me that they walked into their colleague's office and they were shocked. They were like, and she was just lying on the floor. And I was, you know, like worried, you know, what was going on and asked her. And she was like, oh, I'm just resting my back because I have back pain. And this person was just like, oh, that's so gross to be lying on the floor. Like who would do that? And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, uh, me, like <laughs> I do that. Um, and I do, you know, it's, it does still gross me out, but it's like, sometimes I just have to lay on a floor. 
So, and that's another thing I'm, you know, really passionate about. I hope at some point there's more investment in making the world more accessible. I think there should be places where people can lie down in a in a more, uh, I guess, cleanly or you know, hygienic, you know, environment. Because a, a lot of people need to lie down or get faint. You know, with long COVID, we've been hearing about that a lot, and people, you know, have issues. So anyone is capable of having the symptoms and medical issues that we do. And I think like you mentioned earlier, we just kind of seem to have more of them and have them more often and, and some more out there stuff that maybe doesn't affect most people, but can't, but could. Yeah. I think great for raising awareness about the need to lie down and the hope that, you know, maybe a more accessible future will give us more comfortable places to lie down. Yeah. I, I had a ballet teacher in college, Ty, Jimenez and she I remember her saying like people tell me I'm a hippie and I this is paraphrasing this was many years ago but she she was like it's not that I'm a hippie it's just when you're in a lot of pain and you're desperate you will try anything (laughs) you will which okay that brings two points up like I said that because of the laying down like I think people who need to lay down will understand that however dirty the floor is it pretty much won't matter mm-hmm. because they just need to do that. Mm-hmm. But also it's sad when you are in so much pain, you'll try anything. And then people that can be a really big point of being taken advantage of, like as far as trying to sell products or information that just isn't true. And that's also something that I'm hoping to kind of with more research take take that down (laughs) misinformation and and products that are not uh backed by any any research Mm -hmm. yeah there is a lot of like you said like we do get to a point where we're so desperate and we'll try anything and unfortunately there's a lot of exploitation of that fact in a lot of different forms and i say this all the time it's like become my my mantra basically but like our community deserves better deserve better informed consent, better options, and more scientific research so we can understand the bases for claims that are made. And we don't just have to go on anecdotal evidence or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. So definitely. Thank you so much for joining us today, Victoria. Uh, We really appreciate hearing your perspective. And it's so encouraging to see wonderful women like yourself taking the initiative and investigating their own physical state and working to improve the lives of others, um, including the hypermobile population. So thank you so very much. Thank you, Carrie. This was awesome. I appreciate it. Well, that's all for this episode of the Hypermobility Happy Hour podcast. As always, feel free to reach out and email us at hypermobilityhappyhour at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.